you know, what it might be about is don't mess with the gods. (laughs) Don't mess with us. (laughs) We'll get you back. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to No Script, an unscripted conversation about theater's best scripts. I am Jackson Nikolai. And I am Jacob Mann Christensen. And we're excited to come and talk to you again this week. We got another great play, this one by David Ives, which is a playwright that I like quite a bit. Um, We're going to be talking about Venus in Fur this week, which is uh, a really interesting play. I'm excited we're getting to talk about it. This is, it's it's a two-hander, which are always fun. So there's one male and one female in this play. So that's really fun. And it uh, debuted off-Broadway, I believe... Um, which is yep in New York City, but uh, at the Classic Stage Company, and that production had Wes Bentley and Nina Arianda in the, in the main roles, and then she actually reprised her role in that play for the Broadway play, which uh, but the male role was switched out for Hugh Dancy. The uh, uh, and and interestingly enough, uh, she Nina Nina Arianda uh, went on to win a Tony for this role. So she she had control of the role from its inception all the way through award season, presumably, and uh, she won a Tony for it. So that's and great. She's really, really quite good in it. At this time, at the time of this recording, there are some clips on YouTube that you can watch of that production. She is really very good. Very funny, very intriguing. I, I thought that I, I really liked actually both of them of the clips that I saw. Yeah, definitely. So yeah, that's it's it's a a fairly new play. I should have known the dates off the top of my head, but it's 2000, uh, 2010 was when it was first produced, and then that Broadway production was two thousand eleven. So a pretty recent play. Yeah, play of the last decade, definitely, and very very funny play. Like Jackson said, it's a two hander. The two characters are a uh, a playwright slash director named Thomas and a young actress who is auditioning for the role of. Uh, Vonda named Vonda or Wanda, but she goes by Vonda. So her name is Vonda. She's auditioning for the part of Vonda. The play by Thomas, again, the playwright director, is an adaption of an old old German novel called Venus in Furs. And the adaption to the play, Venus in Fur, is is the subject of the audition. So Vonda shows up to audition for a part in Thomas's play and they do a reading. The, the, the audition day is over. So there's no one left, but Thomas who's left sort of bemoaning that he didn't find anybody to cast in this part. <laughs> and so in walks Vonda who says, oh, I've had this terrible day. Uh, I, I missed my audition earlier. It's been so awful. Can I read with you? And he's hesitant, but eventually he's allows her and, and they sort of read. And the story is, I don't know. The story of the play is, I guess a love, story the play within a play and so <laughs> yeah. they read the this love story together in the audition quote-unquote process and eventually sort of take on the parts of their characters and it you know the the play within a play bleeds into the play the audition and they take on these characters and there's some you know some interspersing between them and the parts that they're playing and eventually the i don't know i, I probably won't give away the climax right now we'll get to it as we go but eventually some things are revealed about who vanda is and what her purpose there is. That's been a mystery all along. She has come sort of 
memorized, it seems, and knowing a lot about the play and about his personal life. That's slowly revealed over the course of the play. And who she actually is is sort of the end question, the end climactic moment, and why she's really there to audition for this play. It it is a comedy. Uh, That may be clear from the synopsis. It's sort of a ridiculous uh, play all along, but very, very funny. Um, It's The the content is a little bit inappropriate, maybe, that would be the word, or... Um, it's it's fairly sexualized. It's mature. There's a lot of language. So beware of that. We are going to be talking about that as we dive into this play. And uh, we'll put that in our in our stuff that will have come out already about reading this play. So hopefully you've been warned already. And if right. not, this is your warning. <laughs> the content is a, it's a very mature play with some mature themes. Yeah. And those mature themes kind of revolve around what Thomas has based the play on, right? So the book Venus in Furs is written by this guy um, named Sasha Masoch. I don't know how to pronounce that in German yeah, or whatever that is. Something but, like that. His last yeah. name being the the basis for the word masochism. Yep. And, uh, and actually, and <laughs> yeah, so this, this book is a real book that was written in its time. It's a real and, German novel. Yeah, absolutely. And it, and during its time, especially it was, you know, kind of very edgy for, for a written piece. Um, and, and interestingly that, so Masoch, uh, is, is the, uh, what is what is derived from masochism or masochism is derived from his name, but it's S and M as well, which is what, uh, uh, Vonda continuously accuses Thomas that this play is. She's saying, this is an S&M porn, man. What What are you thinking? Right, How are because you? Yeah. the plot of the novel and then the plot of the play that Thomas is writing and then subsequently sort of the plot of the actual play by David Ives right. is that the this main, this leading male character has, has, because of sort of a childhood incident, has sort of longed to be dominated by a woman sort of in his life, to be sort of a servant to a woman. He sort of imagines that that pain and love are sort of interconnected and that a woman who will torture him and and make him her servant is the right woman for him and will make him fall head over heels and will complete his life. And so the, the man in the play is in search of this woman and, and happens upon Vonda, who he discovers is this woman who will torture him and subject him to be his, her servant and, you know, sort of turn him into her property. And that ultimately along is sort of what happens between Thomas and Vonda as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was really interesting how layered that those examples are within this play. He is accused of kind of, uh, uh, Thomas is accused of kind of imposing his own life into it at one point or another. Like, you're, this is clearly you in yeah, the play. Yeah, Vonda keeps asks. asking him, like, well, yeah. isn't this you? Don't you like this? You, you have to have written this play about yourself. Sort of where, why did you write this story, this sort of weird, highly sexualized, she says that like Jackson has said, it's sort of S&M porn, basically, yeah. of the 1870s. And I thought it was a really interesting way to deal with that because that's something that we've brought up before. We've asked the question, who do we think the author is in this play? Um, you know, in these really personal plays about uh, personal events in people's life, we often like to theorize and think that we're peeking behind the curtain as readers or as people watching of the playwright's life. And it's it's kind of an interesting uh, example of that because he, uh, Thomas, winds up, you know, saying, what, what can't I just write characters? I just want to write characters. And... 
obviously by the end, you can probably call his motives into question there, but at least the argument is had of, you know, playwrights doing these plays that are, you know, kind of stretching and wanting to get to know different characters and, and creating these worlds that aren't necessarily about themselves. Right. Yeah. It's an interesting question and one that you almost sort of, I mean, in a... In an ironic twist, you sort of imagine David Ives might be making that challenge too. Why well, do exactly. play, why do plays have to be about playwrights? Can't we just write characters and create fictional worlds and stories? They don't always have to be about us. But he made that statement, and and it, you sort of wonder how true he really meant that statement to be because this was the wrong play to try to make that statement in if he was being earnest in making the statement. Conversely, he, the David Ives might have been saying, you know, that argument is sort of baloney. Playwrights, of course, they put themselves into their plays. All artists put themselves into their art. Duh. Right. Even, you know, and, and did Thomas know from, from the beginning that he, that he needed this, that this was sort of his own personal journey as well? Or did he discover that over the course of the audition? Was that a subconscious decision, a subconscious revelation and journey that that's maybe a question for the play what do you think jackson is what is vonda's accusation true from the beginning that from Mm. the beginning thomas wrote what he wanted his story into a play of wanting this from a woman and from his relationships or is that subconscious and he discovers it through the journey of this 60 minutes. Sure, like he accidentally, you know, stumbles his way into it. I don't know, that's, I mean, that's that's a compelling choice for an actor and would make two completely different plays out of it. Um, you know, if you, if you play that subtext from the beginning, he's a little bit less bumbling. He can come off as a little bit bumbling. <laughs> Um, you know, this play, this playwright who, uh, is also directing, who constantly says, I'm not very good at this. Um, cause it's his the first directing time directing part. Yeah. Yeah. This he's, is my first fairly, time directing. He's, and he's pretty, um, he's pretty p- proud as a playwright, mm-hmm. but as a director, he considers himself sort of a novice and sort of bumbling. But also in need of affirmation, right? There's a couple of those lines where he writes these long monologues, both for uh, the male character and the female character in the play. And he's like, I spent a long time on this. I don't really know if I got it right. I, I certainly put in plenty of work on it. And he's kind yeah, of Yeah, or he, he likes to skip through them. Because remember, they're, do, they're reading yeah. his play out loud. And he'll get to a monologue for the guy character. And he say, oh, well, we can just skip this. And then he'll read it. And twice or three times, the reading of it, he says something like, it's sort of embarrassing to read out loud or it doesn't read like I thought it did when I wrote it or, you know, I can't... At one point he says, I can't believe I put actors through this, etc. Yeah, yeah. So I think... I think that, especially those lines, and there's a, a bunch of lines that this decision would really weigh into, but that decision about whether or not Thomas is actually kind of a closet this, that he knows this about himself, that he that he likes this kind of a bit more masochistic relationship with with women, um, would, would need to be a decision that the actor determines. And I think it makes it an interesting one. So I'm going to say... Ah, you know, I I'm so hesitant to make these judgment calls in these plays, but I think I, know, I, would... <laughs> I like to make you <laughs> pin but you I down. Think I would absolutely, and if I were directing it, I would encourage an actor to explore that, explore how deep the levels of of uh, of unaware that he is of it are, and and probably push an actor to keep it close to the surface. Cause I think that is interesting and not bury it completely in, Oh, this is the first time I've ever thought about this could apply to me. 
Sure, yeah, and I think that it, you know, a poignant thing too, which we have not mentioned yet, is that Vanya or Vanda, I'm sorry, arrives in um, to audition, and she reveals that she's wearing sort of S and M outfit, an S and M outfit, sort of right. you know, leather boots and uh, you know, etc. Use your imagination, and right. she, <laughs> and and that is what she chose to arrive for this audition, and partially because she claims at the beginning of the play, we learn later is a lie, that she doesn't really understand what the content of the script is about. She knows it's sort of about domination or etc. What she imagines it's about. And so she arrives sort of dressed for, like, bondage porn, I guess, is what she right. describes. Yeah. And, and where you decide Thomas lands on what he knows about himself earlier on may decide what of her outfit and her boldness is what allows her to stay. Because he wants to leave. At the beginning of the show, he's done with a day of auditions. Yeah, All of the yep. women he's seen, he has not liked. He is exhausted. He has to go home to a fiance or, or at least to meet her for dinner or something. So he, he wants to leave. He's, he's upset, angry. In walks this sort of callous, um, sort of careless, weird, extravagant woman who he doesn't really think he's gonna, he would ever cast anyway. And she says, yeah. no, I want to audition. But make, you know, she, she pushes him to audition, and then she reveals that she's wearing this crazy outfit. So where he discovers these things about himself will need, you know, as an actor, you need to decide to decide how he reacts to those things. Is it because she's pushy that he gives in? Or is it because he thinks that she's right for the script. Why does he give mm-hmm. in and let her audition? What does it have to do with her outfit? Does it have to do with she's attraction attractive young woman late at night? Does right. it have to do with the fact that she's pushy and dominant? Maybe all those things. Yeah, certainly she is kind of this big inciting incident in this play. Like she crash lands in and drives the play for most of the play. There's maybe a a one or two switches in power. We like to talk about about the power ebb and flow in this play, but she is it she has a lot of power in this play. Well, interestingly, um, she that's such that that's an interesting statement, I think, because she seems to be trying to give away that power as best she can. Mm-hmm. You know, given what we know about the end of the play, which we probably need to get to quickly because it'll inform our audience what we're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Given what we know about the end of the play, we know that through the course of the middle two-thirds of the play, she knows a lot more than she pretends to about the script, about the subtext, about the characters, about all of it. But she is constantly pretending to misunderstand, pretending to be confused, to be lost, to be unable to make sense of the words and the scenes. And so she is constantly asking for his advice and his direction and his knowledge sort of – in a uh, in a way that gives him a lot of power to lecture and to dictate. We also we also talk about a lot the way that characters lecture each other. That's a co- pretty common thing we talk about. And Thomas does a lot of lecturing throughout this play, but it's almost yeah. always with her permission, essentially, because she right. we know because of what we know at the end of the play, we know that she more or less knows all of this. Yeah, but she yep. allows him <laughs> till she sort of defers to him to lecture, giving him a lot of power. But it's sort of a fake power, isn't it? Because she she doesn't need any of that. 
Yeah, absolutely. It, it, it's so, so meta um, because it's all intricately um, aligned with the play and, and Venus in Furs that he wrote because there's this point where she asks him in one of those moments where she kind of tees him up for something. She's, she's talking about this this play and it's 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 we're like three plays level deep at this point that we're trying to refer to but there's the play within this play um about these two other characters um let's see if i can find the names here real quick they are kushemsky and vonda um so the uh, the 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 fictional vonda and then kushemsky is the name of the leading male character that thomas plays for the large portion of the play yeah and kushemsky and and the the in the play version of Vonda have this a uh, very mm, dominating relationship back and forth and in the real life Vonda is brings to his attention that though I keep wanting to say Shamrayev that's not his name Kushemsky though Kushemsky seems to be giving Vonda power a lot he's actually the one controlling Vonda throughout the play by continuing to keep her ensnared in in this this game this construct that he's making yeah that's a fairly lengthy conversation that the real Vonda and Thomas have about maybe two-thirds of the way through the audition quote unquote yeah. when they reach a scene in which the fictional Vonda accuses Kashemsky of being the real one in charge she says even though you're trying to give me all this power and become my servant and let me die dominate you, etc. Even though all of that, you're really the one in charge. The more that you want me to dominate you, the more you actually sort of rule me. And that be, that is a quote-unquote revelation to the real Vonda about her character. And that's an interesting layering of knowledge because it's not a revelation to the real Vonda we know. She knows all of this, right. I think. So why pretend to have these revelations, Jackson? I think she's doing, uh, you know, kind of a really real world thing and and trying to, you know, get this director to like her. And so she's playing dumb. Um, She's she's, and she's she's got a lot of I mean, it's clear that she knows this play. She pulls out the play and it's dog eared and she's been paging through it. She pulls out the has the whole script, which she she was not supposed to have. That's revealed too. the auditionees were supposed to only get the sides. And she has like the whole script. She's like, where'd you get that? She's my agent. And he says, well, how'd your agent get it? And she doesn't know. So that's another mystery about her, too. (laughs) Where did she get the whole script? And right. where did she memorize the lines? Because that's another yeah. point, too. She's got <laughs> right. the lines memorized. It's not like she says she just read, sped through the script on the plane that she just, or not on the plane, on the train, that she just got it on her way here and she sped through it, but she's memorized. She also pulls out the book, like the actual book by Sekok Mekok or whatever yeah, his name is. Yeah. And, uh, and it's dog-eared, and like they were, uh, Thomas remarks on how like used this book is. So she is not, she is not, um, she's projecting a lower level of intelligence than she actually has. And one of the, I, I think that there's there's a little bit of uh, fun thrown into that about how actors have to do that. Um, I think there's the very if you decide to play it this way, the very real character problem she has is she's an out-of-work actress. She has a short resume, and she's trying to get into a play. Yeah, I think, like, on her resume, she played Hedda Gabler, but it was, like, at the urinal theater. <laughs> right. And Thomas is like, hey, yeah, the urinal theater. Sorry I didn't get out to see those shows. <laughs> yeah, gosh, how could I have missed that? Um, <laughs> but, yeah, so I think I think she 
she's kind of playing the field. And so I think you could take this part and do do a couple different things with it, uh, the part of Vonda. But I think one of the things you could do is play this woman who who is trying to who showed up to this audition late and is just really good at playing the field that she's given and adapting Except to what she's that, given. That even that is an act. So because of what happens at the end of the play, we know that even the uh, even that she's this young actress who wants to part is an act. That's yeah. the part that she's playing to yep. get at her real goal, which, which is what? Which is what exactly, right? <laughs> what what's the point of all this? So, let's just jump to the end and yeah, we got a lot more to, to talk end. about after that, but we got to get there so that we're all on the same page. So, this this crazy love you know, dripping sex and tension and all this reading of this play goes back and forth and back and forth about domination and who's going to be in power and in charge. And and like we've said, the characters in, in the real play, Vonda and Thomas, take on the personas of the characters they're playing in Thomas's play. And that goes on and on until eventually Thomas sort of reveals that, yes, I, you know, he really wanted to be dominated and, you know, controlled. And he and um, Vonda convinces Thomas to tell his fiance that he's not coming home, sort of on the pretense that maybe Vonda and Thomas are going to sleep together. Together. Um, right. But what it, what ends up happening is that Vonda, through the script, sort of talks Thomas into letting himself be tied to the pole, this heating right. pole that's in the center of the apartment. And then she reveals what? What does she reveal, Jackson? Godhood, maybe? I, yeah, like, <laughs> like she might be Aphrodite. Yeah. <laughs> she might be Venus. <laughs> it's not clear at the end of the play. I think that's, that's, I mean, that would be me walking out of the play, certainly, would wonder, w- w- is this actually the goddess that's here? Or is she, like, just adapting really well to the situation? Because she does also get him to give get him to give her, her his wallet and right, his yes. passport. Uh-huh. So, and so, his phone. And his phone. So... And, like, and so so what she says is, so she's got him tied up, and then she kind of, her character, her pretend character sort of drops, and she takes on whatever this true intention goal was, right. which was basically, she says, look, Thomas, this play is sexist, it's, it treats <laughs> yeah. women terribly, you are just this sort of perverted, masculine, uh, you know, terrible example of the patriarchy, you are going to cast some young woman to turn into this dominatrix and then punish her for being what you created. So she's got all this sort of like, this play is sexist and you're sexist for creating it. Right. And so you deserve what you're going to get. And what happens afterwards, I don't really know. She's yeah. got a gun. We know that. <laughs> yeah, She's got yeah. a knife. We know that. She's got some sort of whip. We know that. It's it's a great last scene of just spiraling. You know, it, it's not. It's different than something spiraling out of control. Like we talked about Top Dog Underdog a couple weeks ago. And that kind of spiraling out of control is very different from this because it seems like Thomas is in for it as it goes, <laughs> as it starts tail spinning down. Yeah. But then suddenly there's this last scene, the last, really the last page where suddenly you begin to wonder, wait a minute, did, did a God find, like come down and just decide this playwright needed to be judged today? Right. Because, and that, that, and the reason why we're jumping to that weird, crazy conclusion is that that is what happens in the novel. 
and then subsequently in the play that Thomas adapts based on the novel, is that at the very beginning of the novel and the play, Venus, the goddess, appears to the main character and says, you know, she invites him to sleep with her and to be dominated by her, and he turns her down. And so then Venus subsequently appears in this human form as Vonda and seduces him and then dominates him and sort of ruins his life. And right. sort of, I guess, punishment. I'm not sure. I haven't read the novel. All I know is what I've read of it in this play. And, and so that's why we jump to that weird conclusion is that that's what happens in the novel and the play. And then mm-hmm. this top level play has something like that happen too. She appears as a something. Maybe it's a real person. Maybe it's a goddess. Appears, seduces Thomas. And then ends up punishing him somehow. What's going to happen? What his punishment is after the end of the play, I don't really know. Right. Um, We're not shown. <laughs> uh, not not shown. Perhaps b- better off. Right. Um, but, <laughs> but that's why we're jumping to this conclusion that this might legitimately, or at least David Ives in his story, be a goddess. Yeah. And and even Thomas says that there's some connection to the Bacchae as well, which is an ancient Greek myth about Dionysus. And Dionysus does a very similar thing. He comes down and turns a, uh, a, a king. king. Yeah, is it Perseus? I think per- <laughs> one of the one of the one of you them, know, yeah. One of the kings <laughs> uh, turns a king into this kind of quivering jelly in a dress, and then the women of uh, Thebes, I'm going to say, come around and basically kill him. Um, and they, they are the Bacchae. The, yes, the and chorus. notably, as another connection to that story, which character is Thomas playing at the time of his being tied up and captured? Uh, in, that, in that story, it would be Perseus, yeah? Well, well, in, oh, in no, the but novel, he in the play, yeah, right, he's playing yeah. the woman part. He, he winds up. That's 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 such a great power switch, part right? way through, and yeah. and so that that's that connection to the Bacchae too, because uh, Dionysus comes down and reduces this king into what the play describes as a quivering feminine mass of jelly in a dress, right? And that's exactly what Vonda does to Thomas, um, mm-hmm. literally casting him in the end in the woman part yeah. and reducing him to uh, this quivering mass of jelly. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's that 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 fascinating power power flip comes right at this right at the stage when the play is doing the play within the play is doing its own power flip um, uh, at this stage in the play. This scene of that play within the play. uh Vonda is telling uh, Kashemsky. Kashemsky. Yeah. Kashemsky that. That she just can't she, handle this. Right. Well, that so she's been dominating him. Through, he's become her servant, essentially. And she's been sort of cruelly torturing him, I guess. Yeah. She's been saying, I'm going to sleep with this count. I'm going to marry this count. You're just going to be my servant forever. And right. you're going to just bring me food and help me put my shoes on. And, you know, never nothing is going to come of this. Sort of cruelly treating him. But then she reveals that it was all part of the ploy. He Because what yeah. he says is, look, I can't do this anymore. This was this was a bad idea. I got more cruelty than I really wanted. No duh. And I don't want to do this anymore. And she says, "That was the point. I wanted you to realize that this was stupid. Now we can be, you know, man and wife, but really what she wants is for him to dominate her now." Right. Says, this weird sudden shift. Oh, I in the forgot play. that what happens is that in the play within the play, uh, Kushemsky pulls out a gun. 
and says, look, well, if you're not going to marry me, then you're not going to marry anybody. I'll kill us both. Yeah. And she says, yep. oh, finally, some backbone. Now yeah. you're the one with power. You're dominating me. That's what I've wanted all along. Yep. And in that moment where she becomes the dominated one and he becomes the dominator, Vonda so cleverly, the, the real Vonda, <laughs> cleverly, yeah. slyly changes parts with Thomas. Convinces right. Thomas to read the part of the dominated woman now, and Vonda reads the part of the dominator man now. Mm-hmm. Through another one of those set up compliments, please lecture me comments, right? Right. Like, yes. This this monologue, I, I I think you should read it. You wrote it. You clearly have just yeah, a she's much like, better. I don't know how to play it. Can you show me? How do right. you imagine it being read? <laughs> Which again is still her kind of using that 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 power, the 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 false power structure of him as the director to continue pushing him along towards I think her own driving force throughout this play. Yeah, whatever whatever her ultimate goal is to punish him, to humiliate him, whatever, that's that, that's where those decisions come from to just slowly move him into the position to be captured. Yeah. Because and and here's an interesting question for you, Jackson. Okay. She's got a gun, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. if she walks in just at the beginning of the play, she just walks in in a ski mask and a gun mm-hmm. and says, "Hey, Here's some stockings. Go tie yourself to that pole. She could just skip all this middle part. So it's not like she needs to do the play with him to get him tied up. It's not like this is like a, I can't overpower him, so I have to outthink him kind of situation. Mm -hmm. She she has a gun. She can get him, she can tie him to the pole at any point. So there's some sort of larger mind game going on where this is how she wants to accomplish her goal. Mm-hmm. I think that feeds back into even more uh, supporting evidence for that she is actually Aphrodite, um, because that's a very godlike, you know, classic Greek mythology god thing to do, where it's not just it's not like the gods show up and blast you. Um, and that's that's your punishment. It's like, no, 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 we're going to slowly wrap you all the way around to the point where you're worshiping me and then I'll kill you. <laughs> so I think but, that. L- l- Let's give so let's give lift service to at least some of the other options. So if she's not a god, who is she? Uh, okay. One option is that she's just a crazy person. Could be. So that that's the least possible that she's just crazy and she, you know, read the play. Maybe she's is legitimately thinks that it's sexist and the playwright deserves to be punished. And she's some sort sure. of serial murderer, serial rapist, something like that. I don't know. Something like that. Yeah. So there's there's sort of that option. What other options are there? Do you think? Um, you could you could go the I mean you could go this is a bit tenuous but you could go with her as just being this this actress who came with a Mary Poppins bag and they're all stage props. Um, yes, and, that, and so if she's just an actress showing up with this bag full of props, what what would that actress's ultimate goal be? Why is she actually there? Is is it, could this be? I'm actually just thinking of this now. Could this actually just be an audition for the part? <laughs> right, all the way to the end. All she's the way just to the under- end. Yeah, absolutely. What if after the play is over, she just cuts him free and says, "Do I have the part?" 
Yep. <laughs> Very late in the play, she has a line like that. She said, you know, I really ought to talk to Actors' Equity because if you don't know I have the part by now, what are you actually trying to do? Like, that's only about three pages away from the end of the script. So Right, and she makes jokes about how, you know, a lot of, you know, in the theater world, a lot of young actresses sleep with directors to get their parts. And, you know, a lot of other directors would have me on the floor by now. Right. Blah, 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 blah. So maybe that's part of sort of a long game of seducing and getting the part. Yeah. I mean, I think that's certainly still an option. Again, that last... She she is this character that is very likable and very um, uh, willing to be crazy. There's like this whole improv she, scene. She, yeah, she's very where, unexpected. Hard to predict what she's going to do next. Yeah, yep. And and so, I mean, given that as her character, she does this whole improv scene as Venus on the couch. She says, oh, I'll just jump in and play the role of Venus. And she kind of goes down to that uh, very revealing outfit that she comes right. in she's with. She's got like and- kind of a couple different outfits that she uses over the course of the play. One of them is just underwear. She just, mm-hmm. that's as, that's as much, that's a, the least amount of clothing she's ever in. And she's in that a couple times throughout the play. One of them when she's playing what is supposed to be a naked Venus. Yep. And uh, so I think she would be willing, she would certainly be up for the task at the end of going as far as she does to just land this role by the end. Because I think she is that that kind of wild of a character. Here's one other idea about who she might be. And this is actually something that she claims to be in the middle of the play, which is she might be some sort of private eye vigilante hired by the wife. To pretend to seduce him. She claims that in the middle of the play. Throughout the play, I mean, Thomas is not dumb. Throughout the play, he's realizing (laughs) that there's something larger going on. Unfortunately, he's either so artistically involved or uh, just so aroused and so (laughs) seduced by her that he loses his sense of what he should do. But he definitely (laughs) is smart enough to know there is some sort of larger weirdness going on with Vonda. And so he asks her several times who she is. And one of the times she says, you know what? You know who I am? I'm somebody who met your wife at a gym and I was an actress and I learned that her husband was a a playwright (laughs) and director and she hired me to come try to seduce you. Just to see what would happen. To look into your finances, etc. So... I mean, that that could be possible, too. It's an option, that, yeah. that what she does is she shows up and tries to seduce him, and then she successfully does, right? Because what happens right before he gets tied up is that he calls Stacy and says, I'm not coming home tonight. I can't right. tell you why. Goodbye. And that would be proof, quote-unquote, that he was going to sleep with this young actress who, would, who was auditioning for him. And so she ties him up. Maybe the next thing she does is call the wife. Right, yeah, yeah. Right after blackout, she just leaves. Um. <laughs> and the wife shows up, or the, I'm sorry, it's not a wife, it's his fiance. Right, his fiance, right, right. Stacy, shows up and she goes, oh, I gotcha. Yep. I think, I mean, that, that and the, honestly, the crazy person has quite a bit of credence. You know, this person who really likes this book, which is the, I guess the other option is not just she's a fan of, or uh, fixed on this play, but she really likes the book itself and is, you know, ultimate fan of the original work and thinks that this play didn't quite do it justice or something like that. Because she keeps saying to him how sexist this play is. Right, and, and she actually makes us a point of saying that there's there's things that this play does that the book doesn't do. Right, and it, and it's and it's so minute too. She says this this phrase 
she gives him a phrase from from the play and she says this is not in the book i know it's not in the book you wrote this which if she knows that how well must she have read the book <laughs> yeah that could be that maybe she's sort of a uh, a literary nutcase and she's avenging a sexist adaption of what she imagines is a book about female empowerment right absolutely yeah <laughs> Lots of crazy bunch options. of options. <laughs> I, I, gosh, I don't know what I would do if I were directing this play. Yeah, what the heck? Who is this person? Why is she there? I don't know. Mm-hmm. It is. It is a pretty crazy character to jump in, but I think she she right away though has this this uh, emotional reaction to getting there late. She almost leaves. Like the play is almost done in in a very short amount of time. She she says uh, Thomas says we're not doing this now. Come back tomorrow. See ya. And she she gets almost to the door and then says no no I'm not going to do this because I'm I'm tired of this you know this coming having to go away and come back and uh, not being able to land a role because I'm not the right age or I'm I don't look the right way. So we're going to read it right now. And she pushes it that way. So. I think I think she she she's a, a an arresting character who uh who instantly gets people both the audience and Thomas to to like her and want to see what she's going to do on stage or maybe not like her but be so curious intrigued, intrigued. yeah curious is a good word yeah or or I mean you know in Thomas's case assuming either he's got a conscious or a subconscious uh, you know, desire to be dominated by someone because she's such a dominating personality. He, you know, maybe he sort of falls for her right away mm-hmm. and and allows himself to be pushed around by her. So I'm not sh- I, I'm not sure exactly, you know, what her true motives are, where she's truly heading. It has something to do with this old Greek story for sure. It has something to do with the play adaption from the book. It might have something to do with the goddess Aphrodite or Venus. <laughs> no, no real clue. Yeah. I, I mean, I'd have to make a guess if I did a production, but in this context, I'm not sure I really have one. Right. These are two characters that, you know, it would be – it would be very fun to get two actors to just make some choices on because that's the kind of the big thing about this play. It's it's a one scene play. It's a fifty page yeah long script. one act one yeah one 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 scene the whole time we never break and the lights never go down and you know you get these you get the chance as two actors to really dig into these roles and you could make some really fun choices with that. This isn't a play that really lends itself super well to a big director's concept, right? No, huh? This is an acting play. Yeah, it's much more about the chemistry on stage, and I think what would what would make this play either painful or amazing is how well those two actors play off of each other. Yeah, it's it's all about that. It's it's really all about the sort of internal mechanisms of these two people and watching their texture, you know, their their obvious textual motives, the ones that they reveal to each other, sort of collide with their subtextual hidden motives. And, and sort of to see when they choose to reveal things is really interesting. Mm-hmm. And it's so layered, right? Like you're watching, you're watching two plays for sure, but they are right up next to each other because they break constantly. They break, you know, mid-sentence. Sometimes Thomas uh, gives her director's advice to to repeat things. Other times as they get a little further on, she gives him director's advice on how to to edit what he's performing. And you have this really fun, I imagine... 
you know, at first you allow it to be a little jarring, but then I imagine, especially within the last quarter of the play, we as the audience must just kind of smoothly transition between these to the point where you're not really sure which is real anymore, as I'm sure they are. <laughs> the, the lines for them are getting blurred as well, which must be kind of <laughs> fun yeah, to, to act in. It's got to be. And it it is supposedly pretty clear when they're playing which parts because the parts that they're playing in the play within the play have accents. They're they're European right. parts and these are American actors. So as an audience what's nice is that it it, it 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 is fairly clear which role they're playing at which time, but that's what's so great about it is they you know they'll be playing a role and yet what they're feeling and interacting with each other is the real character. Right. Even though they're saying lines in this accent and that are written down for them. And it's slowly like even like character names start to cross over. Like she starts using Thomas instead of um, the other character's name. The uh, Yeah. Well, yes. The the fictional Vonda, when she takes on uh, Kaczynski as her servant, gives him a new name, uh, Gregor. And Vonda chooses to call him Thomas instead, <laughs> which <Yeah. laughs> is Thomas's real name. <laughs> right. Well, <laughs> um, the other weird thing, which I didn't say either, the other weird thing about Vonda is that she shows up with this bag full of costumes and props, and a lot of them are weird that she has them. But one of them that's especially weird is uh, a coat, like a gentleman's coat from the period that is, I guess, authentic. Right. And fits him perfectly, uh-huh. and she says, "Ah, oh, three dollars at the day, you know, three dollars at the thrift store. I just, I just stumbled upon it." But he's <laughs> like, "This is a real coat from eighteen something. It's just like a million dollar antique, and right. man, just to fit him." So there's stuff like that that lends some credence to our wild assumption that she might really be a goddess. Yeah, yep. <laughs> And that's just such a fun, what a fun aspect of having this large Mary Poppins bag on stage that keeps, just keeps producing stuff. There's, there's quite a few specific props that wind up coming up and it keeps coming out of the bag, like this jacket and a dress and the gun and the knife, and it just keeps happening. (laughs) So that kind of fun, magical, almost, uh. producing of more and more props as they become needed because it's not, it's not the director has the props around the actor brought all this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. She, (laughs) she brought them all with her. And what's interesting is that at the very beginning monologue, Thomas is, is calling his fiance. This is the very first scene of the play and saying how all these actresses have been no good. And he actually critiques them for bringing props. He's sort of yeah. like, oh my yeah. gosh, these women are bringing props. They're, it's terrible. You know what they should bring with them? They should bring some femininity. They should <laughs> go back to being these sort of classic old uh, old school, I don't know, feminine creatures, I guess. So right. from the beginning, which outside of that beginning monologue, there's not as much textual evidence. But just even given that first monologue, you kind of get the sense that Thomas is probably pretty sexist. Yeah. Just as a person. So it's no surprise that he writes a fairly sexist play <laughs> or adapts a fairly sexist play. Yeah. So so then let's let's get real big here for a second. What is the overarching message then of this play? Is this a parable? Is this just a straight up comedy? What are we dealing with here? What what do so we walk away having one learned? One potential message is given as an explanation. I think Vonda 
or maybe whichever one of them, I forget which of them says it, but they're talking about the play within the play and they're talking about what it might be about. And one of the things, whichever one of them says is, you know, what it might be about is don't mess with the gods. (laughs) Don't mess with us. (laughs) We'll get you back. And so uh, sort of an, you know, as a connection, this Aphrodite or Venus or whoever in the David Ives play uh, might be, you know, the message might be don't mess with me. Mm-hmm. You know what? You were sexist. You wrote this incredibly sexist play about me, about Venus and Aphrodite. And uh, you know what? Don't mess or you'll get messed. <laughs> yep. <laughs> There's one possibility. I don't know. <laughs> I like that one. I'm actually, I, I left it irrationally thinking just full on that it was the God at the end because I just finished reading American Gods, side note. Uh-huh, and so my head is sure. filled with all of this stuff. And I was like, this is totally what a God would do. And then I spent, you know, the next day trying to be like, no, no, clearly it's not a God. It's got to be some oh, way gosh, she's a it, human. I mean, that's as <laughs> but, possible as anything else, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's a David Ives play. Wonky things happen. In David Ives' play, <laughs> um, so let's talk about this play a little bit as a comedy. Jackson, um, we don't do, or we haven't at least up to this point, done a ton of comedies on this podcast. What's funny about this play? Why is it funny? Oh, there's there's so much great wordplay in be- in between. Uh, she catches him. Uh, uh, Vonda catches Thomas in quite a few of these kind of verbal traps, where she <laughs> he tries to be this coy writer person who is trying to explain his deep writer theory. And she just like calls him on it every time flatlines it. Um, it's, it's a very physically funny show. Um, uh, I would imagine there are quite a few, this is, this is a play that there's, there's plenty of room for internal breaks within lines. Um, we've, we've done a mammoth play already and mammoth kind of has that Shakespeare quality of you just run on. And as you, if you keep running on, you're doing it right. Um, keep the pickup short and stuff. This play would be- benefits a lot from comedic timing and putting stops between between your words in your own line because there's lots of lines where especially um Vonda tells Thomas what she really thinks but then again frames it in that manipulative structure of <laughs> uh, yeah this is just, he tries a continental accent is is the scene I'm thinking of for yeah. for the character uh-huh. and he's like is this a continental accent does it sound good and she's like that's it it's kind of idiotic but that's okay <laughs> right. yes uh-huh. <laughs> so I and think some that- of the humor comes from just the awkwardness of the subject matter like, you know, this is about sort of sex and domination. At yeah. least a lot of it is. And so some of the humor just comes from watching something that's sort of awkward to talk about. Watching two people treat something that could be treated with sort of a heavy handedness, treat something so lightly. And mm-hmm. so uh, just, uh, yeah, lightly, I think is the word I'll settle on. Um, sort of flippantly. They just... They just talk about it in the air and in the open. And as an audience member or a reader, you're kind of like, oh, oh, what? Yeah. What? <laughs> what are we talking about? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's quite a bit of that in the physical comedy as well because she, like, keeps undressing and dressing on stage through oh, the whole yeah. thing. She, she's probably got upwards of 10 clothing changes of some sort throughout the <laughs> yep. play in, like, a 60-minute play. Mm-hmm. All of and, them and- on stage. Yep, all on stage and barely, like, she barely pays any attention to them. It's just, like, right away within, like, the first couple pages of her getting there, she right away takes off her clothes and starts trying to get dressed into the uh, the, the dress that she has brought for the role. So I think there's quite quite a bit of that kind of shock value of, oh, we're, we're doing this? We're doing this. <laughs> yeah, and 
there, you know, there is a uh, a tradition in the world of theater, uh, a terrible, a negative tradition of on stage women being asked to take off their clothes as part of productions and men not. And in some ways, this play is a continuation of that tradition. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, the character Vanya is supposed to be played by a very attractive young woman, and a lot of the play she's running around in her underwear. So there's some of that in there, but this play almost uses that, almost almost critiques it by doing it, because mm-hmm. part of part of the story is about how Thomas wants this and is so easily seduced by it. And ultimately is punished for his, you know, desire to create sort of a sex icon in his play. And that ultimately she says that was sexist. And so there might be some room for redemption of that in this play, of the fact that David Ives, like a lot of other playwrights throughout history, has put a young woman in her underwear or less on stage, not asking the male counterpart to do anything remotely similar. Right. But at the very least, this character uses that to gain some power. Mm-hmm. And as a and almost as a critique of that very thing, yeah, definitely. And that kind of feeds back into it, you know, that old old tradition as well, as well as of the gods kind of using the thing that they have power over within the structure of plays to bring about the demise. Um, and I, th- I think you're I think you're right on with that. It's it, it's definitely an old kind of a long standing tradition. And I think again, this would be this would be a, a brittle ground to tread on for a production of where it would become uh, kind of a, a painful show to watch or not is how how you choose to handle the nudity on stage and uh, and and the character's reaction to it as well. Another interesting thing about Vanda is she reveals at least some of who she is throughout the play when he asks her questions at least, or maybe she's lying, we don't know. But one of the things she says is that she's a war brat from nowhere in particular. And, you know, that could be just who the actress is, the character. Um, But there's some, you know, some in that from Greek history too. If she were Aphrodite, daughter of Zeus (laughs) and uh, Hera, and, you know, potentially daughter of a a Titan too, on top of all that, they were all engaged in sort of constant war. Her brother is Ares, the daughter or the the god of war, I mean. (laughs) So, you know, if if she were Aphrodite, if she were Venus, that would be sort of a coy thing to say. Well, I'm a war brat. Yeah, there's so many little things. I'm just becoming more and more convinced. <laughs> I, 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 you know, I mean, that, that's a pretty plausible thing for me. Let's talk about Thomas a little bit. We we don't spend a lot of time on him because, yeah, as we've said a couple of times, he is just such such a less dominant character. <laughs> this is Von Vonda's play. I mean, through right. and through, he is not that. He's not that great of a competitor, honestly. No, uh, he's throughout the scenes. Is that a weakness on the play's part, Jackson? It could be. I think again that I think the decision to make him being kind of grappling with how uh, um, how important it is to him for this kind of relationship to be to be a part of his life. Um, but I think I think you're right. He's very reactionary. He he pretends he has a lot of power, but it's a it's a it's a hollow power. Um, he he has to kind of speak his own praises throughout the play to to attain some uh, maintenance of that power, which I think winds up making him very weak. So. Um, yeah, he's in this interesting position of it being very clear from the beginning that he is being played and very clear to the audience and to him. 
and yet he goes along with it. And we, you know, some of his journey is just watching him take 60 minutes to figure out what the play is. <laughs> I mean, what, not the, not the play, like piece of theater, but what the scam is. So that's, that's not always a very interesting journey. Um, now some of the stuff that he discovers about himself, about the, you know, the richness of the play is more interesting. Um, but you know, Vonda's journey is just so much more energetic and, uh, Mm -hmm. there's such more, there's such clear goals, at least until the end of the play, when you discover she didn't have any of those goals all along, really. (laughs) Um, but you know, the idea of a, a young actress, um, or, or any actor, uh, auditioning for a part, trying to give it their all, especially being sort of an underdog and not from the beginning um, being guaranteed to get the part or being even really right for the part. Mm-hmm. That That's a really interesting, clear journey. Thomas's journey, I guess, is of finding somebody to cast as Vonda, but, you know, he falls head over heels for the real Vonda so quickly and is so obviously knows he's being scammed but is just not sure how that that journey, I don't know, it just sort of tapers off. Yeah, I agree. Because you you start, you know, with this long monologue about him critiquing everyone who came into audition. And you wonder if he's going to go on some sort of journey of either um, discovering this actress that he's idealizing in his head or learning the shortcomings of that, that, you know, kind of uh, misogynistic approach to looking for a female actress. Um, but he again, that's dropped so quickly because he kind of finds what he thinks is the fulfillment of it, which turns out to be more than he bargained for. And and yeah, he just kind of goes on this, this reactionary journey. I imagine he's a fun character to watch, right? Like he doesn't move too far as a character, but he must be it must be fun to kind of be an audience almost pitying him. That's another thing it could be. He could be the the cautionary tale character. Well, you know, he's sort of an everyman, right? Yeah, he's the sort of. of normal one who's being bewildered and stunned and having trouble keeping up with this crazy person named Vonda. And that's, I mean, that's a pretty normal pair of characters, the everyman and mm-hmm. then sort of the crazy person. The, it's just, it's it becomes sort of problematic a little bit just because it's a two-hander. So there's just nobody else. And right. every man and a crazy person don't always make great characters for if it's just them. Yeah. Now, now great playwrights throughout history have made it work. And actually, I, I quite like this play. Uh, another example of characters like that would be Edward Albee's The Zoo Story. And mm-hmm. that, of course, is one of the great classic everyman crazy character duos in all of theater history. Yep. Um, and this play, actually... <laughs> I say that this plays a lot like the zoo story it's true. <laughs> in a lot of weird <laughs> ways. Um, but this play, I don't know that the everyman character in this play does not seem quite to have as much of a dynamic journey until the end. In the end, right. when he starts to be, to be so easily manipulated and choosing to give up his power again and again at the end, it's sort of, it's sort of like, uh, an avalanche, right? Yeah. For the first 45, 50 minutes of a 60-minute play, you're just seeing the little rock trickles. And then what mm-hmm. happens is in the last five, ten minutes of the play, the big avalanche of his journey starts. And that's right. when his character gets more interesting. 
Yeah, as as he kind of crumbles to nothingness. What that does is put a lot of pressure on the Vonda in this script, much like the zoo story where it puts a lot of pressure on, I'm spacing his name. Yeah, but I the, both their names, yeah. Yeah, yeah, the, but the main character in that, or the, the more talkative character in that one, it puts a lot of pressure on those actors to be really engaging and really push the play forward. I think uh, given her, her Tony Award, Nina Arianda did that in this role and uh, got, got a Tony for it. Um, but I think that would be the the hurdle that you would have to overcome in this play is uh, Thomas is a foil and it has to have a really good attack <laughs> that he's kind of defending against to make this play push through. Right. And if you were playing Thomas, you'd have to really work to make the times when he seems to fight back a little bit be worthwhile you really have to bank him because so much of the play he's just so head over heels he's in love with his script he's in love with her playing of it he's being very easily seduced he's basically a you know <laughs> just a horny college boy in this right. kind of a, you know yep. just following her around uh, just unable to control himself for so much of the play that those instances where he puts his head above water and gets a little bit of agency you'd really have to work to make those shine mm-hmm Interesting. So one last thing I wanted to talk about is the the setting of the play. It's just an apartment in New York where they're auditioning, but it's in the middle of a storm. Yeah. And storms have a long, rich history in literature. Yep. Um, what's the storm do for you this time in this show? You know, it's a great question. I'd, I I feel like I'd, I'd like to take another read through to answer it because there's I, I, I can't remember the exact moments when they come, but there are big kind of moments throughout that the lightning, the thunder rolls in the distance and it strikes. Um, and I think I agree that there's this long history of storms being really prominent things within uh, theatrical history, also in Greek mythology. Um, but uh, so I think I think it might have a tie to that. But honestly, if I, 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 would, I would need a little bit more examination of it because I'm sure that there are particular moments. What were your impressions when you read them? That uh, that they symbolize, maybe. Well, I had this thought of like across literature, what great, um, what great creatures and gods and villains and powerhouses arrive in storms. Yeah, you know, like uh, you know, you imagine uh, like um, what what is it? Isn't it uh, Treasure Island where the guy comes in a storm with the <laughs> oh, yeah. map? And then all the pirates arrive behind him. Like there are those great moments in literature where characters who are about to change everything arrive in the midst of a broiling storm, mm -hmm. a storm that knocks the lights out and, and creates kind of a scary, dark atmosphere. A storm, yeah. is, you know, it's changing. It's powerful. It's uncontrollable. Mm -hmm. And then characters who rage in storms, you know, like King Lear, and, yeah, uh, mm -hmm. yeah, who co who come on the wings of the storm, as it were, or, uh, or or try to oppose the storm. I don't think that that's really the analogy in this. I think he is overcome well, but, by the but storm. Well, but could there be? I mean, Thomas trying to oppose Vonda is very much like someone trying to oppose the storm. She's a force of nature. Yeah. Of course, he looks weak by comparison. He's got nothing on her. She's a she's a firecracker. She's a tornado. Right. She just has all of the energy in the world, and he just gets blown away by it. And it's sort of, and it's like that. It's like he's standing in this storm, sort <laughs> this of out of control. Of, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah, this crazy, crazy storm shows up in his life. I like that a lot. 
Well, I, I think we're running along towards the end. So if you have more to add to it, what did you think of those moments when the storm came in? What kind of, uh, uh, you, the listener, what kind of intricate personal relationships are we not picking up on or that you picked up on that you want to draw more attention to? We'd love to hear what you think as well, having read this script. So if you have the chance, head on over to Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. We're at NoScriptPodcast or email NoScriptPodcast at gmail.com and carry on the conversation. We love having these conversations about plays in general, but also carrying on the conversation with you online. So thank you to everyone who has been talking to us there, and we'll be excited to hear your thoughts on this very interesting, fun play. If you like this episode, if you like our other episodes, you'd really help us by sharing this podcast. This podcast is for people who love scripts. People who love scripts tend to be theater people. If you're a theater person or a person who loves scripts, chances are you know other people who do too. So if you'd share this, talk about it, that'd be great for us. You can find our podcast on Podbean, on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to leave us a review on Facebook or on Apple Podcasts, that helps us out a lot as well. We are also now on Google Play that recently came through. Yeah, yeah. So uh, you can check us out there if you have an Android device. Also, kind of a fun announcement for next month, we're going to be doing a musical month next month. Yeah, so, so. starting next episode, next week, the, the month of September is musical month. We're going to do four musicals across the month. Yep. The four musicals we are going to be doing, just one after another across the month of September, we're going to do Hamilton first. We're going to just break the seal right off the bat with Hamilton. <laughs> yep. Potentially the biggest <laughs> musical of all time. We're going to dive in. Uh, then we're going to take a classic musical, one of the great pieces of rich theater history, Fiddler on the Roof. Then we're going to do this sort of recent firecracker script, The Band's Visit, won a ton yeah. of Tonys this year. I am just head over heels obsessed with it right now. I probably <laughs> listen to it every other day all the way through. So I'm really excited for that one. And then we'll finish off the month with um, one of the great modern pieces of theater musical dumb is uh, Next to Normal. So those will be our yeah. four scripts for musical month. That's not to say we won't do other musicals in the future, but we wanted to take a month. Jackson and I both love musicals to do some of the musicals that we really love and wanted to talk about. So September is musical month. Tell your friends. Mark your calendars and listen to the the soundtracks ahead of time if you're that kind of person. Annoy your friends. Sing along. Um, (laughs) So Jackson and I will probably not sing. So (laughs) if you want to get ready, probably. (laughs) If you want to get ready and listen to people who can, you know, really do them justice, um, go ahead and do that before you start listening to us. (laughs) Yes. Yes, indeed. So yeah, until uh, next week when we'll be coming at you with Hamilton for for that week. But until then, I am Jackson Nikolai. I am Jacob Mann Christensen. This is No Script the Podcast. See ya. See ya.